Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. So Lord, we're, we're asking now that you would remind us of your love for us, that we're beloved children, that you would shine your light, and that you would grant us your wisdom. Or would you do that through your word and by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this section is really another invitation to follow Jesus into deeper and fuller and truer, truer life by walking the way that he would have us walk. Uh, we live right now in a culture rampant with the things that are listed in this section Uh, kind of a free-for-all of sexual sin and sexual immorality and and maybe even more than that, this underlying current of instant gratification, you know, the one-click culture, one-click to get whatever you want, wherever you want it. There's so much distortion, there's so much pain and ugliness that's come out of that distortion, and there's so much access (laughs) to all that distortion, and so... Here in the word today, we're invited into true life, into true joy, into the midst of that, because we know who Jesus is and what he's done. And so we're happily submitted to him, not only as our savior, uh, but as our king. And we're happily submitted to him because we know his ways are better than our ways naturally. And his calling to us will always lead us further and further into truer life and joy. So this morning, here's what I want you to hear. There's a bunch of commands. (laughs) There's a bunch of do nots. There's a bunch of these things. And I want you to hear it like I think God wants you to hear it as an invitation out of darkness into light, out of foolishness into wisdom, right? Out of hate into love. And when I say hate, I mean like hate for others and yourselves (laughs) by the way that these sins destroy everything in their wake. So let's dive in. Right away here, let's walk in his love. Verses one to six. First, look at verses one to two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is coming off of last week's passage where he ended by saying, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, walk as beloved children. These two verses tell us why we walk in new ways and then how we walk in new ways. We're children of God now created after his true likeness and holiness, imitators of him brought into his family. And so I see three steps here in these two verses for how we Walk this out. Step number one is remember you're a loved child of God. Remember that. Remember who you are. So we're going to keep coming back to this in these last chapters. In the middle of all these commands, or what I would call like the itinerary of the Christian life, is this reminder of your identity in the Christian life. Our itinerary, that is what we do, will always be motivated and flow from our identity, who we are. Remember what Paul prayed for at the end of chapter three, that the church 
would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge and in that way be filled with all the fullness of God, therefore becoming imitators of God. You see how that works. Filled with the fullness, remembering who we are and then becoming imitators of him. Second, as we remember we're loved children, what he's talking about is then being freed up to bear a family resemblance. In other words, we're freed up from kind of having to live out all the old patterns and old ways and then freed up to say, I can be like God now. I can be like Jesus now. I can walk in this new freedom. I don't know if you've ever noticed as you get to know people and their families that there are certain mannerisms and ways of thinking and personalities that overlap, right? And sometimes they seem very strange to you, right? but they seem very natural to them. And that's what he's saying is happening here. You used to be this way, and now you're this way. You're changed because you're now children in a different family. Or perhaps parents. Have you ever noticed your kids imitating things you do? Right, for better and for worse, right? You've all had those moments you're like, oh, praise God, right? I know I said that the other day. That's great. Look at what Jesus is doing. Then you've had the moments where you go, oh, no, Lord, right? That, that's me. And I need to go ask for forgiveness and confess. And that's what he's saying is as you go deeper and deeper in your relationship with your heavenly father, you will look and act and think more like him. We begin to imitate. And then third... We get into the family business. We remember we're children. We begin to imitate our father and we get into the family business of self-giving, God-glorifying love. Jesus lays down his life in love to bring us to God. He lays down his life. He sacrifices. He gives himself. And Jesus is always obedient to God and therefore always in love calling us to obedience that will bring us into true joy. That's what self-giving love is. So it's important to say at the outset, that's what it is. It dies to itself and points to a life lived for God. Real self-giving love doesn't seek its own interest, but it sacrifices, and it also doesn't pretend sin isn't a big deal. So you could hear these passages and these verses and go, wow, God's coming down really hard on us. That's because God loves us. He doesn't want us to live in these places of darkness, but he confronts for the sake of joy and happiness in Jesus. So we're loved children beginning to imitate the love we've seen from God and in our older brother Jesus, and we're trying more and more to get into the family business of self-giving love that gives of itself for others and points others away from sin and to the glory of God. And with that in mind... And with where the Ephesians live, verses 3 to 6 really come as no surprise. You, you could see how they'd naturally come out. So let's read it together. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that the sexually immoral or whoever is covetous, that is, an idolater, and hear these words, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
So the context he's writing to is this pretty new church trying to remember who they are in Christ, trying to walk it out in Christ. And they lived in the city of Ephesus, which had a large temple dedicated to a goddess that was popular worldwide. And the city was known for its sexual immorality and the way it even was mixing worship with rampant sexual immorality. And with that context, Paul is saying, run away from all of it. We're running away from all of it with all the sexual immorality, covetousness, foolish and crude joking. You've all been in settings where you, you leave and suddenly in you goes, yuck, right? Yuck. It's ugly. It's, it's demoralizing, right? It's demeaning what we're talking about and how the, the people are being talked about, made in the image of God and demeaned like they're just transactional to be used. And so he's saying run away from that. All forms of sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. Run away from transactional, casual sex. Run away from religion mixed with sex. Run away from same-sex sexual activity that was common in Ephesus. Run away from impurity. Stop treating people like something to be had for your pleasure, which is coveting and idolatry. Taking what you want, coveting, and living as if you serve it. Idolatry. What he's saying here, and I don't think I have to work very hard to make this have relevance in the world that we live in. Uh, we live in a world that encourages running after whatever feels good in the moment, whatever pleases in the moment, treats these things as transactional, and that it's okay that way, it's good that way, it's natural human fulfillment to be that way, that romanticizes one night stands and sinful expressions of sexuality and then minimizes the effects and the, the pain of pornography and abuse. Romanticizing all this on one side and minimizing over here and it's no wonder that the world is messed up in trails of relationships and broken hearts and broken people who have been used and abused, including the ones on the screens that we think we're not hurting. Right, we have our own temple of sexual promiscuity that lives in our pockets every moment of every day that you go to to worship and you serve. And it leads to all sorts of chaos and rampant and flippant use of other image bearers. You just have to say that, right? We believe people are made in the image of God. And what this does is use and abuse and demean and destroy other image bearers. That's what's happening. <laughs> in our minds, in our hearts, on our phones, when we engage in those types of things. That's what's going on. And Paul says, run away from all of it. And he says it because that's not who you are anymore. It's not who you are. You're children of the living God. It's not loving like Christ loved you to enter into sex transactionally with other image bearers, to look at it on your phone. It's not self-giving, it's taking it's a sacrifice to an idol to give yourself to these things rather than walking in self-giving love that he would say is an offering to God. And I don't want to soften what he says here. The words he has here are pretty serious. He doesn't mince words. He says, partaking in these kinds of sins, running after these kinds of ways with no conviction, no repentance, no inclination to turn means that you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and instead receive his wrath. That's what it says. That there's no repentance, no conviction, no turning away. 
that there's no inheritance. Those that give themselves to these things without any prick in their conscience, who do so even in the name of love, who do so flippantly with jokes and foolish talk, who feel no remorse or inclination towards repentance, he's just saying, you're not in the family of God. Not really. This is a loving warning to wake up and return to Jesus for the believer. That's what this is. This is loving. We talked about how the commands work last week, right? That they they come into the heart of the believer who's filled with the Spirit, and the the Spirit says, wake up. Wake up, return to him. Go go back to him. You don't want to walk towards darkness and destruction. Walk in light and love. So if that's you and you're, you're caught in these things this morning, this is a loving warning from the King of Kings to say, walk away. Turn away. And it's a wake-up call to come to Jesus for those who are unbelieving. In other words, there are eternal consequences for running after these things with no repentance or forgiveness in Jesus. Paul just says it that clear. There's no inheritance. right? Bill just prayed about this inheritance that we have. And Paul's saying, if you run after these things with no repentance... There's none of that for you. There's no inheritance. Not because you've lost your salvation. It's because you're not really a children of love, right? Children of light. It's not really who you are. And then this next little phrase is super interesting. What should replace this self-taking, covetous, transactional, running after lust? Thanksgiving. Just be thankful. <laughs> Why Thanksgiving. Right, what's going on with that? That is not what I would expect him to say there. I would expect him to say something like, instead of those things, purity. Right, instead of those things, faithfulness. Like, why Thanksgiving? I remember reading it the first time this summer and going, what? How, how, does, how does that work? And I think he's trying to get to the root of their hearts, not just external behaviors. In other words, Paul knows that you don't fight the cultural tidal wave that says take what pleases you now when it's the air you're breathing and the the river you're swimming. You don't fight that by just saying, hey, don't do that anymore. (laughs) He knows that the way you fight it, the way you fight it is to say, be thankful. Thankful for what? For chapters one to three. (laughs) All that God has done for you in Christ. For verse one, that you're beloved children of God. Thankfulness that you're saved by grace. Beloved children of God, safe, secure, never alone, sustained in the gospel. Joy, gratitude, contentment in the gospel. What's the opposite of uh, coveting? Isn't it contentment? (laughs) How do you get contentment? What will keep you from feeling like you just have to take all the time? Remembering what you have already. Remembering what you've already received, right? Isn't, isn't that what sin is? It's like, I need it. <laughs> I want it. It's going to be good. It's going to be pleasurable, right? The deceitful pleasures of sin is going to give me something I need, a felt desire. How do you fight that? By going, I have all I need. I'm thankful for what I have. He's, he's given me all I need. So he's trying to get into their hearts, not just say, don't do this. In other words, to walk in love as children of God is to walk in the rest, contentment, and satisfaction of all we have in Christ now and forever and to stop and thank God for it. To develop a heart of thankfulness. right? To to stop in the morning and in the night and just go, God, thank you. 
Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for this community. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for all these good gifts, right? The psalmist says, don't forget his benefits. Thank him. Thank him for all that he's done and all that he is, the the salvific kind of things and the, the practical kind of things that you go, he loves me. He's for me. I have what I need so I don't have to run to the places I used to run anymore. So rather than looking around at what we want in that moment and taking what seems immediately gratifying, we remember and thank him for what we already have that will be eternally valuable. And notice how that stands in contrast to the day we live in with instant gratification. This is going to be hard, but no matter what the world says about love or gratification, those in Christ say true self-giving love is thankful for all it has in Christ and therefore runs away from these places that the world says will satisfy you. And that's going to become increasingly hard in your workplaces and in the, the various areas that you live as you say that in an unpopular way. Point number two, walk in his light. Verses seven to 14, let's start with verses seven to 10. Paul says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So Paul just keeps kind of saying the same thing again. Don't partner in these things. Don't give yourself to these things. Don't fellowship. That's kind of the word for these things. Don't join yourself to these things. You can't fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with darkness and live any kind of consistent life internally or externally. Why, don't, why shouldn't you do that anymore? Because it's not who you are. He's going to keep saying it's not who you are. Ephesians, would you believe who you are? He keeps appealing to identity. Those things are part of the darkness, the place where demonic influence and fleshly indulgence meet. But you are light in Jesus. He's the light of the world. You you can see now because you're in him. The darkness will try to call what is evil and wrong and false good and beautiful. I'll say, look at all this stuff. It's good. It's beautiful. It's not hurting anyone. Just give yourself to it. You'll be happier in the moment, right? No one's, no one's going to get hurt. Just go ahead. It's good. It's beautiful. This is how you find fulfillment. But our eyes have been opened. Our eyes have been opened. We've been filled with the Spirit to discern what pleases our Savior. Again, praise God. We are not trying to appease him. That's been done on the cross once for all. But those purchased by his blood and given his spirit cannot just keep walking and thinking in darkness when they've seen and been inhabited by the light. Right? If the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives inside of us, inhabits us, slowly but surely, the darkness has to get pushed out. Right? Like a, a bull can't be in a china shop and just like walk through daintily, daintily, not wreck anything. The Holy Spirit, God, lives inside of us and he's gonna mess up our sinful desires and our sinful thoughts. He's gonna make waste of all of it. Now certainly more slowly and surely than I wish, but how can the Holy Spirit live in us and we just keep thinking and acting the same way? Kids, have you ever been 
in a dark room and someone turns on the light. I think Paul uses darkness and light because it's so obvious how it works. Right? The light pushes away the darkness. Right? You have never turned on a light switch and been like, more darkness. Right? And if, if you've done that, you need to replace your light bulb. Right? If it just stays the same. But when the light is working, when the light is there, the darkness can't remain. That's his point. Paul's saying that's what should happen inside those who trust in Jesus. The light's on, the darkness is getting pushed out. The light of our Savior lives inside of us and slowly but surely drives away the darkness of sin. We seek to walk in his light, and that means to walk in what is good, right, and true. I love those words. I mean, you just love those words. They're so simple. Like, what should I do? Like, like do what's good. <laughs> what should I do? Just do what's right. What, what should I say? Just say what's true. Like, where do I find that? Just look in the word, right? Like, the, these, again, these concepts are not hard to understand. They're hard to feel and to live. But good, right, true, right? Our kids understand what those words mean. We understand what those words mean. We know how to walk in what's good and right and true. And as we walk in it, we shine the light of Christ into the darkness around us. In other words, as the the darkness gets pushed out of us, the light starts to shine out of us. And that's what verses 11 to 15 are talking about. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Right? That's kind of the obvious thing. Here's light. Now I can see. And anything that becomes visible is light. The darkness goes away and there's only light left. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In other words, the light inside of us is meant to begin to flood into spaces and workplaces and neighborhoods and families and schools that we're in. So not only do we do what the Bible says and avoid the darkness, but we're actually supposed to seek to shine the light of love into dark places. Notice why we do this. We don't do it to win. (laughs) We don't do it to be right Right? Why do we do it? To walk in love and walk in light that others might walk in love and in light. <laughs> That's the point. Make it visible so it becomes light. Right? Your light. Shine the light that it might become light. You've seen Jesus. You've seen the light. Don't you want others to walk in the light with you? Right? That, that's the motivation behind this. That's how love and light are connected. Your children of love walk in the light that others might become children of love and walk in the light. Right? We're called to lovingly say what is true and what is not true. Not angrily say it, just lovingly say it. It's like as you get fearful and nervous, of what do I say? How do I navigate this culture? How do I do this in my neighborhoods and with my my friends that now think something different or in this whole season we're in, just say and do what is good and right and true according to the Bible. And just let the Holy Spirit do the work, right? Isn't it how you somehow came into the kingdom of God like someone just told you about Jesus who is the light and invited you in and the Holy Spirit did his work. And that's what we get to do, to be ambassadors 
of Christ, to lovingly speak the light of truth into the darkness of lies, to lovingly invite people away from darkness and self-destruction and into the light and joy of following Jesus. This does mean as a church that our witness grows, right, as we don't partake in that sin, so that when we identify sin, we're not talking and acting out of two different sides of our mouth. We say and do what is good and right and true with consistency, and then we repent when we don't. We just repent when we don't. <laughs> We're not gonna <laughs> always do it right, so we just repent when we don't. So when your neighbor says, well, yeah, but I know you, and you're like this and this, you say, yeah, I am, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I am, and I'm sorry. I don't want to be like that. That's not what's good and right and true. That's not the light I want to walk in. I want more for me and for you. Come follow Jesus with me. And then the church can be a kind of compelling community that speaks against the darkness and walks in a way that can actually show the light is beautiful. In other words, it's really, really easy to just condemn some cultural expression and a lot harder to actually walk in the beauty of what's good, right, and true. Right? Isn't it? Isn't that just so much you say, hate that, that's bad, look at them, they're bad, and then over here in the darkness on your phone... (laughs) doing all sorts of stuff you shouldn't do. Or say, hey, we, we hate what they're saying about marriage, but then really not like give yourself to your marriage to, to love and care for each other, right? To, to say, oh, we, we hate that thing that happens, but then just do kind of the same thing in secret. So we try to walk in consistency and holiness and in the light, and when we don't, repent. <laughs> repent and say we're sorry. We know, we know, we all know that lust and coveting and immorality is not just something out there. It's something in here, in this room, in this heart right now. And so we try to help each other wake up that Christ would shine on us again. Right? We start in the church. If you want to know the main way you can be compelling and shine the light uh, of Christ, it's walk faithfully day by day and then day by day engage in your neighborhoods. Engage in your workplaces, engage in your schools, engage with friends and family, and invite people to see Jesus who is the light. Invite them to. Like, in this kind of lifestyle, in this kind of culture, I promise you, people will get worn out. They will be left by the wayside. They will be exhausted and hopeless and just looking for someone with hope and life and light to offer them. And as you faithfully live in your neighborhoods and work in your workplaces and and wherever you find yourself, there's going to be chances to say, hey, I've been there. I've worn myself running running after those things. Come into the light with me. So we get to invite people to see Jesus. Point number three, walk in his wisdom. Verses 15 to 21. Look at the first couple of verses of that with me first. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. With the call to walk in love and walk in light as a call objectively away from darkness and into the light of Christ, Paul here I think is just acknowledging what we all know, that we need day by day moment by moment, wisdom. We gotta stay near to Jesus and as we encounter this thing, this temptation, this person, this situation, we gotta go, Lord, help. 
help. I want to stay in the light. I want to do what's good and right and true, and I need your help. Our life is one to be walked out. It's one to be walked out. It's one to be lived. It's one to be shown. It's one to be seen. Living in love, living in light, shining light, showing the world a compelling picture happens in the moments every day as we try to steward our time, energy, and resources for the sake of his love and his light. And Paul is warning us that this will take deep help from the Spirit, deep patience, deep humility, and deep courage because the days are evil. Right? The days aren't just evil now here in America. Paul is saying this about Ephesus a really long time ago. So the church of Christ has always existed in evil days, in, in evil times where evil things are happening, which means just a few things. Number one, it means that there's always going to be a drift towards evil. Right? It's just the air we breathe around us, the current we swim in that would love to sweep us away. So as we look around and see evil, we should be the least surprised people. Yeah, this is, this is the broken world. This is the sinful world we live in. Second, it means that there could be a social or personal cost for what is good, right, and true, saying what it is and living it. So if we count the cost, that's what Jesus said. We just count the cost. We go, man, there might be a cost to this. There might be a cost to it when the days are evil. It means we'll need to seek help in God's word, in prayer, and from other people to not move towards areas we've been tempted in sin before. We've got to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Not be foolish, not, not just run again towards that thing that you know has always led you to the slaughterhouse of sin. Right? Get, get people in your life to, to help you. Get in the word and say, Lord, help me. Get, get help in counseling if you need counseling. Right? There's no shame in that. Go, how do I walk out of the darkness and, and into the light? It means we see each moment we have as an opportunity to live in the light for the cause of Christ rather than letting those moments slip away without much thought or without much care. In other words, to do this, we just got to believe every moment matters. Right? Make, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. How easy is it to coast through your day? No matter what your day is. Right? It doesn't matter if you're a, a pastor at a church. It doesn't matter if you're, you're working in the secular world. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. It is so easy to coast. Right? Just respond to that email. Right? Change that diaper. Get that report done. Right? Hop on that next call. Whatever it is, it's so easy to coast and forget this is a moment to be stewarded for the sake of Christ because the days are evil and here I am as light. So you want to say, how is my workplace ever going to change? It's like you. <laughs> You're the light there. How's my neighborhood ever going to change? It's you, right? It's not me. <laughs> it's not the church staff, right? It's you as light wherever you are in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at your school, at that coffee shop, in your family. You're the light. He's saying, remember, every moment is meant to be used for the sake of Christ. It's a call away. This is a call away from doing what we know is foolish and futile and towards what we know is wise and faithful. And don't think of just like really big picture things. That's what I'm prone to do. Like, oh, it's a really big picture. Think of starting in your family and your friendships. Like, how do I move away from what's foolish and futile and towards what's wise and faithful in my family, in my friendships? Right, how do I 
do that in the church? How do we love each other, treat each other with kindness, comfort one another with what's true in the gospel, call each other away from sin and towards Jesus? And then it just kind of extends to every place we go. So the picture that I think Paul wants us to see is to imagine the impact of light shining through a community of people who say every moment is a gift from God to shine the light of Christ. Like imagine if we went through every moment with that kind of mindset. Every moment is to be used to show how beautiful goodness, rightness, and truth is. That's what we get to live for, right? Life would never be boring, right? It would, it would always be purposeful. It would always be compelling. And then he says that what we need to do this is to lean into the gift of each other. That's how he's going to end here in verses 18 to 21. That's what the church is for. And kids, you know this. Maybe you've been afraid of the dark, right? It's hard to go. And what do you need when you're afraid of the dark, when you need to just keep pushing through? You need someone else, right? <laughs> right? You need someone else to say, I'll go with you into the dark to get that thing or to, to do that thing, right? Or maybe you've had to do something really hard. What do you need when you need to do something really hard? You need help. <laughs> you need someone to come alongside you. And in the church, we're just living in this space where it's so hard in our individual mindset to ask for help. Say, hey, I need help. I need mercy. I need you to walk with me in this. Give you an example, just a a recent one. So our yard has um, several huge trees that means every fall an ungodly amount of leaves falls down. I'm talking 50 plus bags ungodly normally, right? And so uh, every fall I'm like, man, I got to time this right. I need about... 14 straight days to get this done. So where is that going to fit in the schedule? And this year, it rained all over them. I was like, oh no. So all the leaves fell. And then, thank goodness, it snowed, right? So, and then it was 28 degrees for like a week. And so there was no way to do it. I'm going, oh man, I got like one day and there's no way to get it done. I felt burdened. I mean, that might sound stupid, but I felt burdened. I was like, I don't know how to do this. And so I offered some food and fellowship to a few other people and like six people came over yesterday and we were done in two hours and like tears of joy were close, right? (laughs) But that's a picture of what it's meant to be to walk through it, right? We can't do this on our own. The task is too big. It's too much. You can't do this on your own, but you can do it as others come alongside and say, hey, I'll bear that burden with you. I'll be the church with you, and what's interesting is that I think what Paul's particularly talking about here is what we're doing right now. It's not just community and the one another's in general, it's corporate worship. So listen to verses 18 to 21. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, very common thing in the world they were living in, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, Each of you has a favorite of one of those, right? Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, here's all this impurity, and Paul's answer is thankfulness. That was surprising to me when I was reading it this summer. And then here, rather than giving ourselves to our compulsions, In isolation, 
Whether that be alcohol or other addictions, you can put it all in that category. Whether it's sexual sin or explosive anger or whatever other ugly compulsions hide in the darkness. Instead of that, he doesn't say, so do these things. He says, go to corporate worship. That's strange. right? We give ourselves to corporate worship that helps us be filled with the Spirit and renews our minds and hearts to set our affections on the light of Jesus. We give ourselves to a community that sings, yes, in all the different ways, singing to the Lord from our hearts and to each other the truths of the gospel. Isn't that crazy? Like you're here to get help from everyone else, and everyone else is here to get help from you. So that's why it matters. That's why Pastor David and a few of us are always up here saying, you should sing. <laughs> right? When you come to corporate worship, what are you doing? You're, you're pouring out your heart to God. Right? So bring your real self. Pour it out to God. Your, your pain, your joy, your hopes, your dreams. Pour it out. And in doing so, you're talking to others. Right? What are you doing as you sing those words? Jesus is real. <laughs> the gospel's real. Right? Hope is real. Resurrection is real. The blood of Jesus is real. I can keep going because it's all real. That's the point of corporate worship. Genuine hearts engaged with the God who is light and love, singing to each other to remind us of his light and love. That's what we're doing. This is a miracle that's happening every single Sunday. A thankful people thanking our Father for what he's done in Jesus Christ that makes the darkness less appealing and wakes up our hearts day by day to the light. I hope when you leave this place, the darkness seems a little bit less appealing and the light seems a little bit more compelling. Do you feel that when you leave this place? Do you bring it all here? Like, do you pour yourself out? Like, are you tired when you leave? Because you've just given what you got. Maybe I'm just tired. <laughs> I've given what I got. But I think that that's part of it. Like we're, we're bringing our real selves and our real hearts to the table before God and then to everyone else saying, he's still real. <laughs> I'm still here. Right? That's why it's different to be here than to watch on a live stream. That's why it's different to, to make the time to be here than to miss it or just make it when we can kind of think we can fit it in our schedule. It can't be secondary, not because church matters, but because the people of God who are the church matter and we need this moment together there's a reason we do it every single week because God just knew they can't wait a month. They can't wait a couple months. They need each other. They need this week by week. A community that through singing and worship and the word knows the battle with sin is real but that there's forgiveness and mercy. A community that gathers to remind each other of his love and light and then scatters to spread this love and light. A community that knows the world won't often agree with our assessment of what is good and right and true, but seeks to love the world anyways with that truth in the hopes that light will shine and they'll come to know our precious Savior with us and that one day they'll be singing next to us, here and in heaven for all of eternity. So if thankfulness is the surprising opposition to impurity, then perhaps corporate worship is the surprising opposition to giving into our compulsions because the Spirit's at work in this place, in this moment, to say, the light's really good. Darkness is really bad. Come on. Come back to the light together. We gather to rehearse our newness, to rehearse that we're children of love, that we're children of light. 
A new people redeemed by grace. Isn't it amazing to be redeemed by grace? Isn't it amazing that you can hear these things? I hope you can hear these things and say, that is life. That is life. What, what Paul is saying is life. And if you're here and you're going, don't care, that's not life. I'm not interested. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will come and say, but what you're running after is going to lead you to death. You don't want to get to the end and not having an inheritance with God. You don't want to get to the end and just receive wrath instead of eternal joy with Jesus. I've been praying for you that you'd see that, that this would sound good and true and compelling. A new identity we have together as loved daughters and sons of God, a new way of life out of darkness and into light, a new reality of seeing Jesus, a new stewardship of our lives for his glory, new hearts and minds a family of sisters and brothers to help us remember, a new passion to show what is good and right and true as redeemed reflectors of the beauty of Jesus so that it'd be for the good of our own hearts or to be the, for the good of the church around you and it'd be for the good of the world around us going all the way out to the very ends of the earth where Jesus will redeem a people from every tribe and tongue and language and people in these south cities and beyond. Let me pray. So Lord, I want you to come now by your spirit and just work in this room, work in this place. Lord, help us confess our sins now. We get to come and eat and drink with you, fellowship with you as a family. Lord, help us lay down our sin. Help us lay down our shame. Help us hear you calling us home. Right now, softly and tenderly calling us home. Saying you've, you've been in darkness, come back into the light. Or maybe for the first time, you, you are in darkness, come into the light. Lord, we feel the reality of being children loved by God, children of the light, children called to walk in wisdom. Would you stir up in us by your spirit new hope and new joy and new rest and new contentment and new thanksgiving. Lord, as we're in this place, gathered together to remind each other of all that is good and right and true, found in Jesus. Lord, work in us in this moment what's pleasing in your sight. Make repentance beautiful to us. So, Lord, come now. Meet your people with your grace. Meet your people with your help. Lord, would we get all the help and all the joy and all the hope and all that we need to live day by day in your wisdom and would you get all the glory? Paint a compelling picture through this broken people to the world that there is light and love that is worth seeing and savoring and being saved by now and into eternity. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you're here and you're not uh, yet trusting in Jesus, I just ask you to not partake of these things, but we'd love to talk to you. Uh, we'd love to tell you about the hope we have in Jesus. Um, if you're here and there's sin that you've either heard of today or just other sin um, that you're not yet willing to lay at the foot of the cross, but you want to hold on to in your heart, you know you want to hold on to it more than Jesus, we just have you let this pass. This is, uh, we can't fellowship with Jesus, can't walk in the darkness and pretend we're walking in the light, but we've been praying all week that this would be a moment of confession and repentance and that this 
communion meal might be a first step for you walking in the light with Jesus again, saying, I need your help. Help me walk in the light. And this is a family meal, a meal that's meant to show our unity in Jesus. Uh, We get to do this together. We get to eat and drink with Jesus together. And so if there's bitterness in this body, there's unforgiveness, there's uh, anger that you'd rather nurse than lay it down before the foot of Jesus, we're asking you not to take this and seek now to make things right. But maybe this is the moment. This is the moment you say, look at what God has done for me in Christ. Look at what he's done for me and forgive me. How can I not forgive or how can I not uh, go ask for forgiveness from that other person? So we've been praying that for you as well. If you can't come up or you'd rather just meditate in your seat, you can get your hand up and we'll bring the elements to you and let you bow your heads and I'll say the words of institution. The Lord Jesus On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So take a few minutes, talk to Jesus, and come on up when you're ready.